clink, clink, bitch. Yeah, that's gonna sound great on this episode. <laughs> ah. Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Southside Trap Podcast. The podcast that helps you stay outside with the Chicago Red Stars. It's your girl, Sandra. Here today with a uh, NWSL update episode. Uh, we're going to get into some news, NWSL league-related news. Uh, come at it from a Chicago perspective, as always. And uh, to get through some of these talking points, I am uh, joined here tonight by my friend, homie, and colleague, Claire Watkins, a.k.a. the Scam Originator. How are you doing tonight, Claire? I'm, pre- I'm pretty good, I think. Um happy to be happy to be doing doing this i think like i think i would <laughs> i'd be lying if i was like i can't wait to talk about all the things we're going to talk about but uh i think i think it'll be good to do so i think so too uh shout out to everyone who is uh listening to the episode uh, we took a little bit of a week off there in terms of the pod uh appreciate you all hanging around uh, sometimes the brain only has capacity for a certain amount of things and uh the end of the year makes those things even harder sometimes. So uh, we're glad that everyone is joining us again. Uh, we're going to get into some NWSL things, like I said. Uh, but first, we're actually going to kind of pick up where we left off in our previous episode. We got into the weeds a little bit about the United States women's national team as they were going to embark on their final international friendly for 2020. And uh, turns out, Claire, as always, you're right. I sounded a little bit correct, and United States Women's National Team just went out there and they won that game against and they did it with America's best soccer player in that Alyssa Nair. Uh, yeah, I, the discourse, you know, I think for the little that there was leading up to that game, I always find it a little bit funny. Uh, because there's even parts of us like who are who do media we're like well how's this game gonna look like there's some folks out of form right and there's always that part of your brain that goes there and then you watch a game like that happen and you quickly realize oh that's right the United States women's national team is just amazing and they can do that after a several month layoff yeah I mean I think I mean, I don't think it would be easy to play the team that that beat you in the World Cup, beat you, you know, pretty handily in the World Cup final a year later, um, despite the fact that they didn't have a ton of games this year. But it definitely felt like, you know, the the Netherlands dropped like a little hype video or whatever. And I even thought to myself, I'm like, I don't think they believe that. And then, and then they played and I was like, I don't really don't think they believe that. I don't think they believe the thing that they said. Um, part of the thing with that game was, I, I don't know exactly what was going on with the Dutch. Um, they have a coach that is about to leave them. Uh, and I don't know exactly. I mean, watch this space two, three years from now. I don't know exactly where the Dutch are going to be. Um, it didn't look great. Didn't look great last week. Um, But, well, yeah, and I think the thing that got all of us really excited about about the U.S. was that, like, they weren't amazing. They didn't pass very well. They didn't shoot very well. But they came out there with a plan that that played to their strengths in terms of of ball winning, primarily. Um, And so it didn't matter. So I think that that is is really exciting because I think a lot of us who have been analyzing this team during the Jill Ellis era – 
and got very excited about the Vladko Andonovsky era and then didn't really even get to see much of that this year. Um, seeing the U.S. play with a system is a real breath of fresh air. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I thought it, I, I really enjoyed the game, actually. I mean, obviously, you had some wonderful storylines. You had Christy Mewis um, go in there and, and get herself a goal, and Alyssa Nayer didn't have to do very much. And, um, yeah, I think – I think they look good. I think that there's no reason to believe that they've lost a ton of momentum. Despite the fact that they played in the, uh, the terrible, terrible NWSL this year, um, where none, no good players play, the failing failing and the dying NWSL, um, they still look pretty good. Didn't they looked all right. I don't know. Uh, it's weird to see somebody like Christine is, uh, thriving in a domestic American league. And then do that. Uh, United States ended up winning the match 2-0. And they did it on goals from Rose Lavelle. Someone who maybe isn't having quite the go that she thought she'd be having overseas with Manchester City. And another goal from Christy Mewis, who made her return after a six-year absence from the women's national team. And uh, ended up getting that victory 2-0. And everyone was really, really, really hyped about it. Something else... uh, within this game that I was also really hyped about. Part of it was getting to see this team after a very long time, right? We talked a lot about that. Getting another look at this particular team coached by somebody like Black Gondonovsky and seeing the perception of what this team could look like with a system in place. Uh, So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, watching a very specific player within that system uh, and we're talking about Lynn Williams, who had an excellent game uh, on this day, despite uh, Americans' small home run brains wanting just constant goals. And I get that, because who doesn't love a touchdown in a soccer game, right? Um, but Lynn Williams was doing some very, very awesome shit on and off of the ball within this system. And, uh, you know, made really help make that Christy Mewis goal, uh, happen down the stretch. Uh, so it was dope to see a player like her getting her, her work in. Yeah. I, um, I would say that, and we'll talk about a variety of different things relating to this, but, um, yeah, I mean, very excited to get the U.S. Women's National Team back, but then you're reminded upon them coming back as you're like, oh, right, we get all, we're getting all of this, um, the good and the bad here. And and I think uh, the stuff that I really love about when everyone's watching a U.S. game together, I really genuinely mostly really enjoy being on Twitter during these games. It's a lot of hooting and hollering and, and just being really excited um, for, for these, these, uh, these women running out and, and, and just kind of celebrating what they do. And, um, I think that's great. Uh, I think, you know, the engagement is super high. Uh, and, and I, I wrote about this a little bit for, for our patrons, but the, the flip side of that is you have a lot of people who have very strong feelings about, where people fit on this team and, and what they should be doing. And some of that is placed in what they're seeing. And some of that is placed in, in their general opinions of players. And some of it is also placed in like the reality that, um, you know, at the Olympics are only taking 18 people and, and some, some people are going to get their heart broken. And, and I think that to a certain extent, you know, if you are invested in, in some different 
um, players on the team talking about a player who hasn't made a main main roster um, like Lynn Williams can start to feel a little bit like, well, she's clearly not as good as this other person. Um, so, so what's the conversation here? And I, uh, and so I, in trying to speak about her positively, I was like, whoa, some people feel very strongly about this. Um, and I think that I like Lynn Williams a lot. I think, man, I've been on a real journey this year with a number of players. Um, and she's one of them where I'm just like, I don't think I gave her the shot in my own brain that I think that she's deserved over the last couple of years. And I, and I think that, um, what she does in a Vladko and system is, is very specific. And the player she reminds me of, and you're going to love this or hate this guys. She's like Sam Kerr. She does so much work off the ball. She stretches defenses. She plays defense herself. And sometimes she gets in front of the goal and she closes her eyes. Okay. And it happens. Um, but I think that that is something that can be worked on. And I also think that in terms of the Olympics, and I'm probably going to say this a million times from now until next June, but there's no such thing as a starter. That seemed very clear that people felt very strongly about this idea of like who should be a starter on the U S women's national team for the Olympics. And I'm like, what is a starter? A starter is a person who can run. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what this looks like. And so I feel like, Lynn Williams is closer to making that roster than people might think or people might, might want. And also I just don't under fully understand um, some of the animosity towards the finishing in that she was one of those NWSL players. The other forwards that played in that game were Alex Morgan, Kristen press and Tobin Heath. And all three of them have been playing in Europe. Like she was rusty. I thought we were giving them a pass on that. (laughs) Weird. Weird. How we're not giving Lynn Williams. Yeah, on that. I don't know. Uh, the optics of that don't look or feel great. That, uh, certainly not this me, week. No, right. Me, yeah, I can't speak for everyone. Uh, I'm sure there's people out there who are don't uh, aren't picking up on what I'm dropping here. Uh, but yeah, bringing her up on purpose because we thought she had uh, a good game and, and she uh, worked her ass off. I, I, yeah, that should yeah. be yeah, that should be uh, that should be praised you know because it is often praised you know you hear that work ethic right that 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 concept like with united states women's national team and we hear so often about like how it's so competitive when you get into those camps and um if you're not there to make someone else better get out right all that other stuff so um watching her uh work on and off the ball was, was really, really dope. And uh, I'm excited to see it ahead of a, a 2021 uh, that might feature an Olympics question mark. Um, Maybe. But yeah, I mean, we'll, prob- uh, probably, right. Probably. Right. Well, uh, Whoever's we'll, going to be there. No idea. Yeah. So definitely too early to uh, predict that. Um, other things that made us feel good temporarily uh, for this match was the fact, you know, a lot of the storylines around this were, was about the fact that the team hadn't been together in so long, um, that it was a camp featuring a lot more of the quote unquote regulars, right? Some of those uh, more allocated players uh, from that one World Cup roster uh, kind of finally uniting uh, because a handful of them are in Europe. Uh, and 
getting together after so long uh, also provided a unique uh, opportunity for the team to do something that they hadn't done before. Uh, and obviously it was talked about and it was planned. Uh, there was some really great, uh, I guess we can refer to it as content leading up to kickoff, uh, talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the training jacket warmups that the players were going to be wearing as they a took the pitch and b were going to be participating in the anthem uh we're going was going to feature the message of black lives matter and uh there's out there about it uh, you could definitely find it if you haven't seen it already uh game was broadcast on espn and the usa uh so Telemundo Deportes uh, honored the showing of the anthems because there are two teams that are playing and it's an international friendly. So that was part of their broadcast. And uh, for ESPN, uh, the anthems were not shown and you can only assume that choices were made there. Uh, but that didn't negate uh, people getting a chance to see some players uh decide to continue the the protest that has been going on really for for years in some capacity from uh black athletes specifically uh in regards to taking a knee uh, during the playing of the national anthem and to have these players doing that um after not having a game in so long after going through a 2020 that is still navigating its way in a pandemic, especially if you're living in and from the United States, uh, has also been dealing with what the Black community has often referred to as a current uh, race war in this country. A lot of discourse, a lot of calls to action uh, for Black lives uh, against police brutality specifically and other forms of systematic racism. Um, I know for us on the media side of things, we've done our best to try to cover that as those things unfold, as we continue to see uh, Black players uh, work their way through that and try to adhere to their own personal choices, you know, when it comes to things like that. And to see these players all kind of come together, right, and all decide to kind of wear this collective message on their warm-ups, I think, for a brief moment, uh, felt really awesome. I think if we're talking about this, what, four to five years ago, it's unimaginable, right? It's unfathomable, unthinkable. In fact, there's actually a bylaw in place several years ago that says you can't do things like that. Uh, so to have those players kind of have those discussions and obviously come to that conclusion and make the decision together that they wanted to do that, I thought was very big. Um, and then watching the footage of nine players electing to extend that message through the anthem by taking a knee was incredibly incredibly brave and uh, I don't want to take away from that 
but we felt like it was a responsibility to also talk about that moment as a whole uh, because within those 11 players on the pitch, I referred to nine. And that meant that two others uh, did not uh, take a knee, uh, chose to stand for the anthem instead. And that was uh, Kelly O'Hara and uh, Julie Ertz. And uh, how quickly uh, you can go through something like uh, the motions of feeling, you know, seen or heard, uh, and then quickly all of a sudden feeling bad about it. And I am speaking to this from a very specific uh, perspective and lens. Uh, we've talked about our own personal identities on this podcast in various episodes. And as someone who identifies as a queer Latina, um, a non-Black woman, I still had bad feelings watching that. Uh, seeing what looked like a fragmented uh, protest made someone like me feel bad. And then I took it a step further and said, well, if that makes me feel bad, I can't imagine what Black fans or Black people, Black women specifically, how they feel watching something like that. Yeah. Um, very well put, Sandra. Um, lots of stuff, lots of stuff happening here. I think... Um, the time the team took off is a big part of this, right? The fact that this was their only chance for the rest of the year to kind of weigh into something that you could tell that many of them felt very strongly about. Um, and I think, yeah, in terms of watching some of that stuff in, in you know, talking about, my processing of it because I am a white woman. Um, there's a mixture of things for me. One being that I think there are a lot, there were a lot of people now at this point who are very quick to not call something like that brave to say that, you know, because there are more people acting in solidarity, it's not, as brave of a thing to do and well absolutely not it's different it's different to kneel for your club team than it is to kneel while you're wearing your country's colors it's different and that was something that was you know as you said written into the bylaw as something punishable up until this year um it was immensely brave and and i and um i i think that that's so awesome that so many players wanted to do that um i think also uh i think that there's some push and some pull a little bit in terms of symbolism because i know that a lot of people who are in this space or even players who have been working tirelessly this year to to work um to work in this space are saying that perhaps the time for symbolism is past. Not talking about a kneeling during the anthem. I'm talking about like the, on the shirts, you know, that sort of a thing, like, like slogans on t-shirts. Um, though that is the power that a team like that wields in that moment, right? Because they're just about to go play a game. This is not them working in the community. This is them taking a symbolic 
stance, which they wanted to do as people who were representing their country. And that was awesome. Um, I think then you get to the kneeling during the national anthem. And for me, and this is, this is a little bit of a commentary just on uh, the way we wanted to approach this. And, you know, we didn't take notes before we did this. This is a, still a little bit off the cuff, but, um, you know, I said this to Sandra before we started. I think for me as a white woman, I think that an underrated um, form of allyship is shutting the fuck up every once in a while. Um, so I have not been eager to be on the forefront of this conversation, um, to speak over anybody on social media primarily. Um, but, you know, I think also take that idea, that idea that, that, that allyship is, and when I say just like shutting up, I also mean your, your brain. Because if you are a white person in this country, your brain is bad. It, it has been indoctrinated since you were born. You were raised in, in, uh, in a value system that, despite all best intentions, hold biases and hold um, inherent issues with, with your values. They just do. Don't take it personally. It's just true. And I think that when you see people stand for the national anthem like that, as a white person, that's an inherently selfish act because it's saying, I think that my brain with my reasons, my flawed, indoctrinated, surrounded by white supremacy reasons are more important than why my teammates are kneeling. And I think that the Two of the, the two people that stood of that starting 11 were people that we were led to believe were leaders, right? Or we even thought that. And, I, and I'm having some trouble with the idea of a person really being a leader. And a leader is a servant and not having the ability to look outside of themselves. I don't get it. Um, well, well, I do. I, that's well, I'm, well, my whole point is that I do get it. I do get it, but it's wrong. And um, it's incredibly disappointing to have, you know, and we just kind of have to say this, right? This is a Chicago Red Stars podcast. It's really hard to have someone that, that we thought had a very clear legacy, not only with the U.S., but also with the Chicago team, make that choice. Um, because, and this is maybe my final point, is when you choose to do that, you, you are making, whether you believe it or not, you're making the choice to make people feel really bad. People who care about you, people who have been invested in your career, people who want you to succeed, you are creating a referendum about whether or not you value them as a person, whether you believe it or not. Intent is not the same as, as, uh, as consequence here. And that sucks. Like that is, that is a, whether you feel this consciously or not, that is a choice that you are making. And it's not one that I agree with. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my stand on that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree with you hundred percent. I also, uh, thank you as, you know, some, someone who 
uh, speaks, you know, eloquently about that. You know, you're you're a white woman, and uh, this year in particular, there's been a lot of dialogue when it comes to many relations, whether it's race relations, um, relations with the, the queer community and relations within actually the LGBT community as well, because there's also race relations within the LGBT community. Um, there's been a lot in 2020 uh, that's occurred and uh, been a part of a lot of those conversations myself. Uh, I've been asked for input and that's also a struggle as someone who is also still constantly looking for her own answers. It's also exhausting. And again, I always come back to the point where I'm like, if I'm tired, I cannot imagine how tired Black people are. And um, throughout some of these conversations, whether they've been one-on-one, personal, or uh, in front of a camera on a panel, um, I have said numerous times that it often has to be white women who have to collect their own. And uh, I always appreciate uh, that somebody like Claire uh, takes that art. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we don't shy away from what we do on this podcast. We're Chicago Red Stars podcast. We talk about the Chicago Red Stars and we love talking about the Chicago Red Stars. And a lot of what we do is talk about how much they kick ass. And many a time we have talked about Julie Ertz kicking said ass and to be quite frank we she kicked ass on friday man yeah ass on friday and to be quite frank she's probably going to continue kicking ass and we will have to talk about how much ass she kicks um so if you're gonna be uh talking about and revering performances uh you got to talk about it all and so we wanted to take this moment to uh touch on that a little bit and to transition speaking of white women um <laughs> oh no um we're just gonna keep it going here for a little while so if uh if the, the this particular topic is already bothered you you can definitely fast forward a little bit i would encourage you not to um because we do have some uh more nwsl stuff at the end of this episode but we're gonna keep it on this topic for just a little bit longer because within all of this discussion from the optics that we saw coming out of that united states women's national team friendly it was very recently announced by sports illustrated uh they announced their top uh what they're referring to as activist athletes very, uh, very interesting and really wonderful term because there are many athletes who really wear both of those hats, right? And uh, they they gave out this award to a handful of players, you know, a handful of people doing great things. Um, Lauren Tardif and, and Pat Mahomes from, from Kansas City. You had the, you know, the great LeBron James, you know, getting some recognition. Uh, Naomi Osaka. Uh, who's had an unbelievable 2020. And uh, Sports Illustrated also named Brianna Stewart as an activist athlete. One of the 15% of white people (laughs) play in the WNBA coming off a really phenomenal season. We're not going to act like that didn't happen. Seattle Storm had a amazing amazing year all things considered she's a player who came off of a horrendous injury and then went back out there and simply did that 
And um, I think that's the struggle with some of this award is that it's not a performance award. It is an activist athlete recognition. And so much of the discussion from the WNBA in regard to a number of issues have always, always, not just 2020, but forever, have been led by Black people in the WNBA. And that is something that players like Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird and Elena Dendleton and Deanna Taurasi have all referred to constantly that they follow the lead of the players of the WNBA. Um, so a lot of the discourse that has come out from this news and selection was that it's a failure and a shortcoming on a large publication like Sports Illustrated. Uh, there's been some response that it's a lazy pick, that it's uh, that there's flaws. And within that, there's also been discussion about the fact that a profile was written up about this specific player, Brianna Stewart, a champion, uh, a queer, a visibly queer white woman. And uh, it was a profile written by another very visibly queer white woman, Megan Rapino. And I think that just adds, and not just adds, but continues, right? This conversation about not just the importance of having these discussions, right? And trying to figure out solutions, systematic racism and valuing black life, but what it actually means, feels and looks like to wear the hat of an ally. Yeah, it means shutting the fuck up every once in a while, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Um, again, I mean, but also with that same principle, I, I am not the person to go in on this a little bit, you know? Um, I, I mess up too, you know? But I, I want to, I think there are some important things to say, right? Um, thing number one is that, um, this was lazy by Sports Illustrated, for sure. Um, they made rules for themselves uh, that in and of themselves uh, highlighted some issues that are we all know are systemic and inherent to the WNBA. One of those being that um, they needed their player to also be a, a champion. They put activist before the athlete, but they they're only nomin they're only uh, winners were people who had won championships this year. So, um, and they felt, I guess, like the Seattle storm did not have any, you know, ha have, have black women to highlight there, you know, in, in, inherently, you know, in implicitly. Right. Um, and then you start following that thread, right? Like, okay, so why are the two most famous women on the Seattle storm white? Um, why were the two most famous women of the Washington Mystics when they scored it, when they won a championship the year before white? Um, why are the people discussed as um, like unanimous greatest of all time? Why are those women white? And why is like Candace Parker a controversial figure for some reason? Um, and, and you start walking down that road and it's, it's, um, it's tough. It's not good. I, uh, 
I want to be very, I want to be on the forefront and saying that there are many black women who cover that league, who do a fabulous job. Um, those women were clearly not consulted here, um, despite some of them having freelanced for Sports Illustrated in the past year. Um, and then from that, right, um, the Megan Rapino, and, and the thing with Rapino here, and um, she is, she's written some stuff this year, and she obviously uh, gave, has given, gave some speeches last year. Um, and there's some clear, uh, contradictions there. Let's just say this. Some contradictions from what she wrote before the WMB finals this year for the Players' Tribune. There's, uh, some, uh, some differences in what she said in her Sports Illustrated speech last year. Um, and, and I, I don't, I don't pretend to know Megan Rapinoe's life, um, but I can say from my, from my experience and my perspective, um, being an ally is not recognizing when people do amazing things. Being an ally is not being like, I am so brave to say that the women of the WNBA are good at basketball. That's not being an ally. That's having eyes. Um, you know, and, and, and then also it's not an ally to have your relationship to all of that framed by your white friends. I, I'm not blaming Megan Rapinoe for her entry point into this space. Everybody has them, right? But here, she did not express a willingness to reflect or think deeper on that at all. Um, she wrote something for the Players' Tribune before the, the NBA Finals, or the WNBA Finals, about how women's soccer gets more coverage because there are more white women. And then she did this. Um, I'd like to think uh, that she'll say something about it in the next couple of days, right? You would hope that Stuart would also say something about it because people make mistakes. And, and our, I, I said it before, our brains are bad and, and our bad brains don't always lead us in the right direction sometimes. Um, but yeah, this was a really big misstep. And I think that, uh, I think there's a lot of danger in presenting yourself as a really good ally professionally. And I don't think that was ever her intention originally, but this is kind of an instance of that perhaps, um, because it's still putting you at the center of it. And that goes against the, this is what I'm saying. It goes by, it's like, like, it's not standing for the national anthem, but it comes from the same place. You are centering yourself. You are using your own value system to, to determine what is good. Um, and you don't have people around you to check your biases and you're not checking them yourself. So uh, there was just a lot of that this week, right? Just a lot of people that didn't have the ability to, de-center themselves word yeah it's um i think for now um having both of us kind of express some feeling about it some thoughts about it uh to just sort of maybe help us transition out of it uh i want to encourage anybody who's listening to this right now to always continue to 
support the media that you wish to consume. I get that. You you want the stuff that you enjoy and that caters to your interest. Uh, that's part of why this space kind of exists. Um, but if you're somebody who really enjoys absorbing a lot of different things as much as you can, I always want to encourage you to step outside of yourself and maybe engage in some sports content that maybe you wouldn't always uh, take a look at, read, uh, review, or listen to. There are a lot of wonderful Black women out there who are amazing content creators and producers of wonderful pieces of media. And uh, we are lucky to know a couple of them and work with them and see that the work they do. Um, so please try to seek them out and follow their work and amplify their work. It is because of their work that people like us can be on our own podcast and say that was a misstep because we got educated from their work. So I'm talking about our good friend, Bria Felician. She is doing a wonderful, wonderful new venture with the Black Sportswoman. Please go check it out. Subscribe if you can. It is going to be, it's in the form of a newsletter as of right now. You, you literally just need an email. Uh, so you can find Black Sportswoman on Twitter and she's already done a lot of great stuff. She was already tasked with having to address some really the emotional stuff coming out of that United States Women's National Team game um, and did so via Twitch. And she did not owe us any time and or space and yet somehow uh, still gave that uh, to an audience. So shout out to Bria and her work and what she's doing. You should go check that out if you can. Um, my hermana, uh, Erika Ayala, a brilliant Afro-Latina who does tremendous work in many spaces. She has, yes, covered- She knows so much. It's like, listen like to her truly, stuff, I'm like, oh my God. She she's truly, so much. Go, yeah, when it comes to all sports, uh, yeah. really, uh, but she's a heavyweight when it comes to things like the National Women's Hockey League or the WNBA. So really her circles, um, she's she's great, a great resource, and uh, her work is, is so important, so valuable. And of course, so many of you out there are probably familiar with much bigger uh, platforms, people like, you know, Ari and people like Lachana uh, Robertson. And please continue to work. They really are faces in these spaces. And uh, it's just, you know, we said this before, uh, when I was on a diversity and inclusion panel earlier this year uh, with, with Meg Lenehan and Steph Young and, and Bria, uh, you know, it's not hard to find them, guys. We, we, that's not an excuse anymore. Um, you literally just need to find one of these excellent, brilliant minds, and then you will find an entire list of additional brilliant minds. So once you find one, you will be able to find so many more. And uh, I think to transition out uh, into this next phase of our episode, uh, 
just want to hit you early with the mini part of the outro and say continue your support uh, for Black players and Black lives and especially your support of Black women in sports. Um, so shout out to them and their brilliant work. I hope they are taking uh, a break <laughs> from social media this week. Uh, it's more than deserved and uh, when they're ready, hopefully they'll come back around and uh, treat us to some, some even more great content that we know they're capable of. Um, but for NWSL news and to sort of close out some things, maybe on an additional Chicago Red Stars lens, uh, the Red Stars are going to get themselves another local rival in 2021. And uh, the year 2020 just continues to go on, surprising us. Uh, the league announced today that Kansas City will be receiving what they are referring, referring to as an expansion side. Uh, it's ultimately the relocation of Utah Royals FC back to Kansas City in the arms and hands of a new ownership group. Uh, just to walk you all through some of the a quick timeline of the events and some bullet points. And in between, we'll hit you guys with our own whys and, and thoughts and feelings about it. Uh, but Utah Royals, you know, they had actually absorbed the former FC Kansas City back in 2017. Uh, obviously was a big deal. Uh, they were a beloved team, accomplished a lot of things on the pitch to NWSL championships. Unfortunately, uh, multiple ownership groups fell through and the team ultimately dissolved and had to cease operations and enter the Utah Soccer Holdings Group with owner Deloy Hansen. They came in and they jumped into the NWSL fold. It was really a viewed as like kind of a turning point for the league. A lot of great stuff. Uh, the team got amazing resources to start with. Uh, a really great uh, engaged fan base of interest around the team. And um, in 2020, some things came to light. A lot of reporting done by some of our colleagues surrounding racist, sexist, toxic cultures happening under the real Salt Lake umbrella, because uh, Deloitte Hansen is the owner of many, many brands, uh, the MLS side, Real Salt Lake, Yes, Utah Royals FC, but also uh, USL side and Utah Soccer Academies as well. And uh, it was a large, large Utah soccer family there, and, and the Royals were a part of that. So with all of this reporting, uh, it was a decision was mutually agreed upon for Delo Hansen to sell off his teams and his, uh, his assets there. And unfortunately, uh, the NWSL is not in the position as maybe an MLS side is to sort of be able to step in and finance and save a, a club. So in the interest of sustaining a 10th team in the league, uh, uh, this move, this announcement was made uh, today as of this recording on a Monday. And uh, it was made official that this ownership, this new ownership group in Kansas City, who was interested in having a team, uh, didn't have to wait much longer. And uh, it's being presented as an expansion because Utah will retain the branding and those type of rights, while the new Kansas City group will be obtaining players to formulate a team. 
and um, it's a lot to unpack uh, while we're still uh, listening about uh, reading and supporting work. Claire has written some amazing things uh, about all of this as has transpired. You can find some of it on Southside Trap Patreon. You can find a good chunk of it over on uh, our homie, you know, page in, in, in Equalizer Soccer. Fantastic stuff there. So go check that out if you're looking for some more, um, you know, words in the weeds on this type of stuff. But the news being made official, Claire, after we sort of those of us in kind of the media circles have sort of been hearing that this was in the works for some time, um, kind of maybe puts us in a position where we're kind of more ready to get excited about the KC side of things versus feeling sad for old rich people selling their assets for more money. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. You've caught me a little bit talked out on this one. Um, yeah, I wrote I wrote about it for Equalizer. I also was on the Equalizer podcast this week, and we talked for an hour about this. Um, yeah, I think part of it is is a little bit, and you know, I had I didn't have this thought until just now. But um, one of the one of the sad things I think for Utah fans is is many of them became aware of and became fans of the NWSL when they got a club, which means that they maybe don't know exactly how some of this works sometimes, um, which makes it hurt a little bit more. Uh, this happens. It just happens. And, um, you know, yes, Utah had great numbers. They had a great facility they couldn't find a buyer. I, um, yeah, you guys always get the real me on this one. I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I, I just, I feel, I feel, I feel terribly for them. Um, but I also, you just have a greater sense of perspective with this. If you've been doing this for a little bit and, um, Utah will retain the branding. They're first in line. If their owner wants to do it, whoever that ends up being, Kansas city gets a team back. Um, and I just think that the other thing too, is because we've all been through this a million times before, when I saw the reports two weeks ago, I said, Oh, this is happening. Like, I think there was maybe this where people were thinking like, Oh, that's not great news for Utah. And I'm like, no, like Utah is moving. Like, I don't know why anybody's <laughs> thinking that they're not like when you read that, when Meg puts that out, it's because it's happening. Oh, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and there was a little bit, I, and I, and I understand not wanting it to happen, but I also, am just like, you guys did have time, I think to reckon with this a little bit more than, than you thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, the whole situation, um, sucks. Right. Um, but I can't pretend that I, well, two things is like, I can't pretend that I am like 100% super stoked for this new KC team. Cause it all feels a little bit weird and a little bit ramshackle and a little bit wrong, but I also can't pretend that I'm like mad. I'm just, I think our friends are back, man. I don't know. It's like a little bit nice. It's just a little bit nice. People don't, and I've said this before, people don't understand just how alone Sandra and I have felt a little bit being the people talking about the one Midwestern team in the entire country. It kind of sucks. Um, 
So I don't know. I saw some people swapping some like Midwest jokes yesterday. And I was like, you know what? This actually is just, I don't think I realized how much I, I missed this. And I had the thought too, that I never got a chance to cover FC Kansas city in like a professional capacity. Um, and I am really excited to be able to do that. So um, yeah, it, mixed emotions for sure. But definitely the Chicago standpoint is like, first of all, Chicago standpoint is like, I'm sorry, Utah, but never been there. Is it real? Is anything real anymore? I don't even know. Second thing is, um, you know, excited to have excited to have people back in in the Midwest. And then like third thing, obviously, like excited for Chicago to like beat that team, you know, so it's like all of those three things. They're still not us. You know, and in a way you're a little bit like, okay, fine. Like, we'll let you back in, <laughs> but <laughs> in a very petty way. Um, but, and I, and I'm sure that's something that a lot of Chicago fans are feeling as well. Right. Like you're, you're so stoked to just have, I'll say this too. And I said this, I think on the podcast before is like, I was like trying to come up with some contrived reason for there to be a rivalry with Louisville. And now we don't have to baby Casey's back. <laughs> oh, Casey, honey. We don't have to lie to ourselves. Louisville is in the South. Y'all. Louisville's in the South. Louisville is in the South state of Kentucky. Uh, no, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, there's, I think my reaction to it is it was initially just, yeah, of course. There's a lot of things about this that is sad. You know, there are many things that make a franchise work and it's not just players. Um, players are going to make decisions, right? They were informed, but now they might have to make a choice, right? I feel very strongly that this is absolutely better than having their team slowly dissolve though. hundred percent agree. 100% shocking that I agree with you uh, on, on that. But I, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of it is sad. There's a ton of sad elements to it. Um, And there's other elements that feel good. Like we're talking about them right now from, from our perspectives. And um, I am looking forward to having a team back in candy and um it is i think for us for people who cover women's soccer yeah there's that disconnect because maybe there's that knowledge of just having written these stories before right um and it's also coming on the heels of this like goofy ass narrative that the nwsl is failing for some reason even though it just pulled off two competitive events in a pandemic and had several players competing in a national team level after nine months of lack of competition and kicked ass. It's a weird narrative to have, but people have it. And um, that doesn't, I'm not saying that to make, you know, necessarily make people feel better that it doesn't suck. Cause there's again, elements of this that is, that uh, don't feel good, but I mean, and I hate to play the comparison game, but you look at like a, an organization like WNBA that's been around for almost 25 years. And guess what guys, that organization only operates with 12 teams. It's hard. It's hard guys. We're still, we're, there's a lot of progress that's being made every day, little by little, right. When it comes to women's professional sports and women within the sports space, but with that very minimal progress that you see day to day, you're always constantly reminded that there's more work to be done. And even looking at a decades old 
her women's professional organization like WNBA, who is still operating with 12 teams, it's not easy. And there's a, there's a thing that happens in order to sustain your league. And we're seeing it happen, unfortunately, again in 2020 with NWSL. So it's a new ownership group. We've had some fun with that, right? The, the, the Angie and Chris Long uh, out of Capitalist Group and then also bringing in somebody uh, like, uh, I, I'm sorry. Brittany Matthews. Brittany Matthews. Brittany Matthews. Yeah. Thank you. I was basing on her last name uh, because she's engaged to Patrick Mahomes. Um, so I didn't want to be disrespectful and not say her actual last name. Um, but she's a former pro soccer player. So there's a lot of interest there for her. And it's an interesting group that is coming out of Kansas City. And it's already a little bit of a different energy, I think, than maybe what people who are familiar with the league from back then were used to. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Claire. I mean, fun, fun facts for people who don't know. My, my very first piece of Chicago Red Stars anything was about the rivalry between Chicago Red Stars and Kansas City. And it was for a website called Midfield Press. And the, the link on that is dead because I haven't been for them in years and no longer exists. But that was the very first thing I ever wrote about Chicago Red Stars coverage it came off of the signing of Casey Short and her return to Chicago and talking about that big rivalry and how it wasn't necessarily a big rivalry it was just kind of a really nice friendship and um yeah there's that level of excitement for two Midwest kids who have been screaming from the beautiful hilltops of the Midwest about the success and women's soccer cultures that are out here in the Midwest. So we are excited uh, for those things and, and to see that return. Yeah. And I also just want to quickly say, like, you know, I think there are people who were upset and I think that turned into some Kansas city slander and can it hold a candle to the best city in the world, Chicago? No, but I will not stand for that. I will absolutely not stand for that. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to have some commonalities with people. I'm, I'm excited to, it's hard to, it, I think just listening to you talk, I was like, man, we're like making stuff up all the time about like Portland and, and Seattle and Houston and, and Washington and North Carolina. And it's like, man, I. People want to say that all these other teams are like Chicago's rival. And I'm like, no, that's not a real thing. Like, we don't know who they, who are they? We don't know them. Like, yeah. come on. What's even like, tell me their highway system. I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I like, feel bad for like Houston. Cause I feel like they won a rival with Chicago and yeah. everyone's just like, no, sorry. That doesn't exist. Yeah, no. that's true. They did. They like dunked on them. They like, dunked <laughs> on them on Twitter. And, I, and the Chicago was just kind of like, Oh, okay. Like you did win. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like for sure. Like, yeah, sure, dude. Like, good yeah. job. Hopefully, um, hopefully 2021 looks and feels a little bit different and yeah. a little bit safer, right? And um maybe we can drive into the weeds of Kansas City, get some barbecue and take in a game. Would love to do that. Um, we'll see how all of that looks. Um, some things still have to be announced. Uh, they have a tight, tight, tight timeline to get some things turned around. Um Players are doing the markets in February, guys. That is not a far, far away place. Um, so it's going to be quick. Uh, we'll see. 
Yeah, I was just going to butt in from a Chicago perspective. One thought that I did have this week, and I don't know if this will come to pass, but I was like, wow, like, okay, so like this Kansas City team just offset a lot of assets. They offset Kelly O'Hara. They set off, you know, you know, Kristen Press obviously is no longer with them. And I was like, man, they really could use a first round draft pick. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what Rory would sell that to them for. Something. Already, it's already feeling great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's already feeling great. Our brains uh-huh. are already working. Yep. The way yep. we want them to have the way we've wished them to work for so long by having another Midwest team to sort of point at and look at and say, Oh, oh. Hey, <laughs> behind you. Just let me get right past you, buddy. Um, yeah, we're uh we condolences, right? Uh it's been real, Utah. Part of the uh agreement to make this happen again was that Utah would be able to retain the branding and things like that. And um, they've already set a goal. They want to try to get back into this league by 2023. And I think that that's awesome. Um, Yeah. I love that um, the Royals aren't necessarily going out without a fight. There's a community of fans there that really did get excited about having a women's pro team. And um it's hard to imagine what 2021 is going to look like even to look at something further down the line is just unreal right now. The fact that they're already thinking in that capacity, I think is a good sign. And it's uh, always nice to, to have a little bit of optimism in moments like this. Uh, so shout out and welcome to Kansas city. We'll see how you guys look obviously as the league, uh, season gets closer and approaches near um things like a name things like branding things like logos things like a crest things like jerseys all that fun stuff right that people like to talk about uh the league does retain all of the branding and imaging from the former fc kansas city club we don't know if that's something that is going to reemerge. uh there will be more info about that obviously when the deadlines come closer, but uh, it'll be fun to cover and take a look at in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I was telling, I was telling Sandra that we started like, you know, at this moment, like many things, I think a lot of us are struggling with this, which is just like, everything feels kind of like nebulous and, and without shape at, at this moment. And um, so that's kind of how this Kansas city team feels to me right now. That's how, Utah felt to me as well, where I was like, I, I have no vision of this in my mind's eye. I haven't been in a neighborhood outside of my own in months. You know, it's like, it's just hard to really imagine exactly what all of this looks like in, in, in real life, not only because we haven't seen it yet in Kansas City, but also like, when was the last time we saw something in real life? So I think it's okay to just feel kind of weird about this because I think that right now, we just don't have a great visual sense reference for what any of this is going to be. Um, and I think that's okay. And, and be patient with yourselves. And, and then also, but within that, like if this primarily makes you feel bad, um, that could also probably be a product of, of that feeling. So, so be patient with yourself, you know, cause I think that um, the NWSL is going to operate with 10 teams next year and, I, I can't like guarantee that it's going to be good, but I think it'll probably be hopefully better than this year. So <laughs> we're going to find out, won't yeah. we? Uh, guys, we're going to be there with you through it all, as always, doing our best, <laughs> like you're doing your best. Um, Claire, where can the people find us if they want to support us? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon. We're doing stuff every week. Um, some of which I think has been quite good. And, and I've been, you know, I've been thinking a lot about some of the larger, larger implications of this past week in, in terms of some of the stuff that we were talking about on this podcast. And I might turn those into words or, or I might not, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't decided yet, but um, yeah, f- follow the Patreon. And then, you know, I do, I do work with the equalizer. Um, Sandra obviously does work with CBS and those are the, the other outlets. Let me just tell you, we are working very hard. <laughs> so find us at all of those outlets, please, because we're very tired and wearing ourselves very thin. <laughs> I don't know, man. Claire and I like to have like 17 jobs between us. Hey. Weird. <laughs> Weird. And then everyone and in a subscribe while. and subscribe to the black sports women, please. Yes. hundred percent. Every once in a while, we like to check in with each other and see how we're doing with our 17 jobs. Uh, guys, when you hit up that patron, please take a look, see if there's a tier that works for you. We have ones that start at $2 go up, uh, to $25. Uh, we understand that 2020 is difficult and uh, finances are tight. And maybe that's not an option for you. But I also want to let you know that there's a ton of ways for you guys to continue your support of Southside Trap. And you could do that by following us on all social media channels like Twitter and Instagram at Southside Trap Pod with one letter P. You can go ahead and find us on streaming services like Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. Go ahead and find us subscribe give us a like leave us a rating leave us a review that stuff helps us out tremendously whenever we are producing chicago red stars content for you all everybody hang tight holidays are gonna come back around again if you're not already enjoying them Uh, make good choices Uh, please stay safe wear your mask wash your hands wash your face wash everything please subscribe to the black sports woman and continue your support of Black players and Black life, and we will be back with you all as soon as we can. Bye.